Hi, this is Daniel Williams, host of the MGMA Insights Podcast. I want to share an exciting offering from MGMA, the Transformative Healthcare Delivery Certificate Program. It's an in-depth online learning experience December 6th through the 7th that provides healthcare leaders with the mastery of accountable care organizations, clinically integrated networks, commercial value-based care programs, and CMS's value-based care programs, including MIPS and APMs. So go to mgma.com events to attend this certificate program December 6th and 7th. And now, on to our podcast. Hi, everyone. It's Daniel Williams, host of the MGMA Insights Podcast. And this week, we'll be posting live from Boston in the MGMA Medical Practice Excellence Leaders Conference. We'll give you some insights on the education and the networking that takes place each year at this event. And now, on to today's podcast. Hi, everyone. I'm Daniel Williams, Senior Editor at MGMA. We are at the Medical Practice Excellence Leaders Conference in Boston. I am sitting with my good friend, Doral Jacobson, CEO of Prosper Beyond. Doral, how are things going? Great. What a great conference. Boy, do I love Boston and in the fall and it's just amazing. Sessions are great and I, it sure is nice to see everybody. That is awesome. So you told me right before we did this interview, you got outside. I have been inside the convention center for the last three or four days. I'm looking forward to getting outside tomorrow, but what what did you do? You saw some sights or you got out and did some exercise in Boston? Yeah, what did you do? I took a little run around the port, um, checked out some shrimp boats, uh, saw the ferries, and um, yeah, no sea life, but I love water. So it was really nice just to lay eyes on, on the water. That is so cool. Well, it's good to get outside. What was the weather like? It was perfect. It was, okay. gosh, 68 degrees, just beautiful for running mm. Had the leaves changed, or did you get Some, to see any of that? Some? Just a little bit. It's just starting. Okay. Okay. Well, thanks for sharing that with sure. us. I know it's good to just, we do so much when you go to a show. It's so, uh, you know, the, the stimulation. There's just so much interaction, communication, and then, you know, that me time. Get out and jog. You did about yeah. three, four miles. Is that right? Yeah. Absolutely. And that's one of the things that um, I love about where these conferences are held. They're in interesting cities that always have uh, a nice area to discover. And I love being able to do that. And I like the space that's created, particularly around lunchtime to do those kinds of things. That's so cool. So... What, do you know, do you, have you like kept track how many MGMA shows you've been to? Oh boy, I go to them. I have been going to them almost every year since like probably 2010. Okay. So, okay. So you're around double digits, oh, yeah. uh, give or take? Absolutely. Okay. Okay. That's so cool. Since you are a veteran, you're a speaker, but you also interact and network. You do a lot of different things while you're here. What were your goals for this week? Well, my goals for this week were to definitely um, participate in some sessions and hear from colleagues about what they're experiencing, how they're addressing uh, various issues. You know, a lot of our clients have 
huge staffing issues, they're struggling with revenue cycle, burnout, value-based arrangements, and uh, it's really cool to hear what others are doing to tackle some of those issues. So I, I it really, my goal was to definitely sit in some sessions and hear a little bit about how folks are approaching those topics. Um, also, a big goal for me is just learning in the vendor hall what is being offered in the marketplace. Right. And so I've seen so many cool things that I wouldn't really have appreciated if I had just gotten an email from a vendor. Right. So I love the vendor hall experience, and that's always a goal to find out what's out there. And I spent a lot of time in here. Was there anything, as you were, we're in the hall right now yeah. as we're having this conversation, mm-hmm. and have you run across anything? Was there any kind of vendor experience, new product, new offering that yeah. either opened your eyes yeah, or yeah. opened well, your checkbook? Or <laughs> Right. I mean, some of the things that I think are really interesting are the virtual assistants. Like there okay. are some folks that have virtual check-in. Uh-huh. So you approach and it's, it's not really a kiosk because it's a person that you're talking to, okay. but they're filling out the forms and helping a patient navigate and they might be sitting in the Philippines amazing mm-hmm. okay yeah, it is amazing um now you also said you you want to get out at, at 10 different sessions is there anything you have attended that that sparked interest in you yeah. uh, learn something well uh i try to take at least one thing away from every talk i go to okay. and one thing that i took away from a value-based care talk was the push towards care at home okay and I think it's fantastic. You know, as a contractor, I am reviewing contracts for clients, and a lot of those have home elements now. So it's good to really think through what do we need to be thinking about? What does that look like? And how do we approach these kinds of contracts? So I think it's amazing and something that is, it's in the future, and I'm always trying to look around the corner. So I did learn about how what from a payer perspective that they're trying to figure this out too okay so you are also you're kind of a triple threat here so you you do a little bit of everything you also presented your session it's a it's a popular session that we've offered before it's payer contracting 101 strategies that work you've already delivered that what what was the feedback what kind of because it's highly interactive yeah. what were you what were you getting from the audience? What what did they want to know from you? Yeah, they're looking for strategies. Okay. Uh, payers can be super elusive. It's difficult to identify contacts. Okay. Now with the staffing shortages, we have contacts that come in and out of payers. So how do you keep track of those things? And then how do you identify who you should be working with? Um, also, just some of the blocking and tackling. You know, what if they deny my request for increase? Um, so we provide some strategies around how to do that. Uh, how do we identify what we should be proposing? So we give them information about how they can benchmark their own contracts and then develop a proposal that they can stand behind. Because you just can't go to a payer and say, I want to raise. You have to acknowledge how you benefit that network, not only financially, but from a quality perspective and make your case. And you know, the interesting thing, Daniel, is that you're making the case for yourself mm-hmm. first. You have got to understand your worth as a practice to that payer. And it really helps you get behind your proposal. And um, I kind of, I, I think about it as a courage muscle. Like our practices sometimes get 
run over by payers and we're afraid we think that we can't ask for a raise we think that no one's going to give us a raise so we we live in this world where we just kind of give up Mm -hmm. and and payers many times don't make it an easy process either so this uh, idea about figuring out who you are and how you add value really helps practices identify the payers that are good relationships for them and then give the payer an opportunity to explain or give them an, uh, how, how can we collaborate and make mm-hmm. things better? Because we really do want the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. So you said that uh, it's really about the strategy. It's about yes. being strategic. Do those strategies, are they evolving over time? Yes. Is it, tr- so t- talk yeah. about that. Your light, your face uh, just lit up. I wish yeah. we were on camera <laughs> here as well as audio. Yeah, they are changing. Uh, you know, a lot of the dialogue with payers now is around value-based care. Okay. And the last time we did a podcast a couple years ago, I mean, there was that element, but yep. now every payer has um, something that they're trying to deliver in the market. They're trying to push out bundle payments, pay for performance, um, incentives for generics. Mm-hmm. Those are just a couple of examples, but we are having more and more discussions with payers around those items because the rep has a quota. You know, they need to get a bunch of value-based contracts done. So we're having those discussions now. Okay. And it's really cool because we've been asking to have those discussions. Yeah. So now the part is how do we determine whether or not this makes sense for us? How much effort is it going to take us to comply with the, um, you know, with how we're going to implement this in our practice and kind of is the juice worth the squeeze? And if it's mm-hmm. not worth the squeeze, how do we tell the payer this? Because payers oftentimes don't understand hmm. the administrative burden component. So it's not like the payer offers uh, a value-based program and then you say no because you think it's going to be too difficult. You've got to give them feedback or that's what we recommend. Mm-hmm. Give the payer feedback. You want us to do these five things, but... You know, item number three is going to take a staff member an hour every time that we have to comply here. Either you're something has to change, either the incentive has to cover those costs, or we need to rework that, workshop that from a workflow perspective. Uh-huh. So it's so it's like it's just moving these discussions into some more sophisticated dialogue around how do we implement these programs and make them not administratively burdensome and and reward everyone appropriately. Okay. You and I talked for the first time. It's coming up on four years. It's three and a half years, three plus years since we first had a discussion. We did take a pretty deep dive into value-based care. What has changed in that time frame, that three and a half years or so? Because you were just alluding to it that it looks like when you have the conversations now, it it kind of gravitates quickly to value-based care. Yes, and so I would say one of the things that is really cool is that we have data now. If you're going to be asked to participate in a bundle payment and you have a target that you have to reach, mm-hmm. what we're asking payers now is help us understand where the opportunity is. Why would we go sign up for this target and we don't really understand what changes we might need to make in order to uh, tap into some shared savings? So the onus, okay. you know, if you... it's. If you want us to participate in these value-based programs, you've got to help us. You can't just send us a data file and say, good luck. You know, we are having discussions with payers where they are walking every single group through what the possible scenarios are. So it's so cool and collaborative. Okay. And um, all based on data, which I, we love. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, that's, 
that's new and very cool. Okay. I'm going to switch gears now because you pinged me. I believe it was last night. Yeah. You were at the uh, Fellows yes. uh, Awards program right. last night. Yeah. I, I was, love that. Yeah, I was in different directions. I think I was editing a podcast with, uh. when I received your message. And uh, you reminded me that we had had a conversation a while back saying, hey, you have a, a really interesting uh, fellowship journey story, your story about the fellowship and, and your leadership evolution over the years. Tell us about that. Yeah. Well, thanks. I uh, It's amazing to kind of look back and I was talking to someone at the fellows reception last night that I've known for many years about mentors that I've had in the program and how um, that's evolved and really catapulted me into leadership roles that I would not have had had I not pursued um, all of these credentials. And uh, yeah, so how it started for me was a study group in Asheville, North Carolina. There were about six or so administrators that wanted to become certified. Okay. And so their, uh, the body of knowledge was in existence. And we decided what we would do is each take one of the body of knowledge subject matters and become an expert on it and teach it to each other. So we would meet once a month in a conference room and someone would do HR, someone would do finance, and someone would do governance, and we would teach it to each other, and then we all would take the test. Wow. Yeah, so what was really interesting about that was that these are my friends. Mm-hmm. I mean, these are people that I see at these conferences, and we built relationships. We had to figure out how to eat if we were going to meet after work. We had to <laughs> spitball different things and, mm-hmm. and even kind of stress test some of the body of knowledge. Like, that's what that says, but it really works this way. And, right. and uh, it, it led to a lot of discussions that um, were really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And so that was a really cool experience. So that was how it really started. So at that point, we, we took our test and the majority of us continued into fellowship and one of those uh, individuals who was in that study group and I kept in contact and you know I don't know maybe four years later uh, we challenged each other to become fellows mm-hmm. and um, I, you know it was kind of a lofty goal for both of us and we decided to do it so mm-hmm. we had like a buddy system mm-hmm. and there were a couple people in the Carolinas that the ACMP forum you could go to and they would help you from a guidance perspective so we both got some mentors that helped us think through what our subject might be and some of the advice we got that was really great advice was pick a topic that you're excited about and that you want to know more about and that you want to share because it becomes part of the body of knowledge Mm -hmm. it's kind of like we are giving Mm. back to our profession Mm -hmm. so what can I contribute and what might I want to explore So we asked ourselves those questions and dove into, it was papers at that time. Okay. So um, what was fascinating to me was that at first I was like, I don't know if I can write, you know, a 10 page paper. Like Uh that's a lot of words. I'm not sure how this is going to work out. Right. My paper was almost 70 pages. Good gracious. Yes. Because every time I would dive into a topic there was something else to research and more questions to ask Mm -hmm. and I really wanted it to be thorough and it was about payer contracting and value-based contracting and these concepts that were really 
um, not well defined in the physician world for sure. So it led me down lots of rabbit holes, mm -hmm. and um, which was really a surprise. So I wrote this giant paper, which I never anticipated, and um, then became a fellow out in San Francisco. I okay. want to say it was 2014. Okay. And it was so fun. And my my colleague, who was also on the same path, mm -hmm. she became a fellow too at the same time. And it was just a blast. And, and some of the things that I really enjoyed about that, talking to other fellows as I did last night. I love to hear what people are exploring, what mm -hmm. topics they're exploring, what they're interested in. And um, it's just, it's a... It, it's a, been a neat journey to um, explore those relationships with fellowship. Right. Yeah. So you, I want to go back then to last night. So you were there at the fellowship awards program. Um, I had talked to our internal expert uh, from MGMA about the fellows program. There were 96 honorees and that was by far the most that have ever received uh, their fellowship in the same year. It's, it's almost amazing. twice as many as normal. What was that like as sort of someone who's been through that now to be in the audience and see this recognition, to see and understand the work that each one of them went through to receive this great honor? What was that like? Yeah. It kind of chokes me up, honestly, <laughs> because it is really... I think a very challenging credential mm -hmm. and it's also so rewarding because you are building relationships along the way and it really for me it opened up my professional eyes in terms of how do these boards work and what are the resources and MGMA has so many at mm -hmm. so many levels um, but it was it's really humbling to think about people giving their time it's an enormous time commitment right. so you're giving all of that time to your profession so to mm -hmm. think that that was double my class. My class yeah. was like 50. Right. But it's like, wow. I'm just, and I'm a paper grader now, which is one okay. of the things that after you become a fellow, okay. you can volunteer to grade papers. So it's all blinded. We don't know who writes them. Right. But you end up reading people's ideas and concepts for businesses or business plans. And so, you know, I'm, you're sitting there watching these hundred people on stage and thinking, I just wonder if I, that paper was connected to that person. And it's just, it's so humbling and inspiring and um, makes me really proud to be yeah. in um, that that circle and mm -hmm. part of MGMA because we are the leaders. We are our own heroes, yeah. as our speaker said. Yeah. We really are. We are the ones that are changing healthcare. Um, I want to ask you one more question about the fellowship program. How has that helped you in your professional career? That is a great question. And I'll say it... Um, it was an amazing experience because as I wrote this giant paper, I uh, began to realize that I could turn that into a book. Yep. So if I could write, if I didn't think I could write 10 pages and then I wrote 60 some odd pages, why not? What the heck? Why not a couple hundred pages? <laughs> and certainly there was need. There was a lack of information. I hadn't seen anything like it in the market. So, um, I uh, called my mentor and somehow wrestled her into doing it with me. And we created a book together, the Transitioning to Value-Based mm -hmm. uh, Payment uh, Models book. And um, it's, it has been really one of the reasons why I departed corporate America and launched my own company. Okay. Um, so the fellowship and the journey through fellowship helped me uh, 
really support myself professionally and it helped me understand my own capabilities that I really wasn't aware of because it challenged me to do things I didn't know that I was capable of doing. And then that gave me courage to do the next thing and the next thing. And now I am CEO of a very successful contracting company and our culture is amazing and it's literally the happiest time of my life professionally mm -hmm. and personally for sure. Mm -hmm. But a lot of that is because of the journey of um, really my professional career that fellowship was a big part of. Okay. So I wanted to make sure that I shared that because who knew, who knew in that little conference room studying at night teaching each other things that um, it actually was it connects back to the, the fact that I am you know I run my own business today and have a, a, a wonderful professional life that is wonderful well Doral Jacobson CEO of Prosper Beyond author runner <laughs> weightlifter <laughs> friend um, I'm so glad you're here with me in Boston and just thank you for sharing these thoughts with us at the Medical Practice Excellence Leaders Conference. Thank you, Daniel. My pleasure and always great to see you.